Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another exciting and riveting episode of JavaScript Jabber. My name is Steve Edwards, the host with the face for radio and the voice for being a mime, but you're stuck with me. I'm still your host. Today with me on the JavaScript Jabber panel is first Dan Shapir. How are you doing, Dan? Hi, I'm doing great. Coming to you from Tel Aviv, where it's still relatively warm and sunny, still going to work in a t-shirt, so life's good. Oh, I feel your pain. I really do. <laughs> for sure. Right here, it's down in the then in the 30s Fahrenheit, which is, I'm not sure where that works out. I think it's about zero, close to zero Celsius. So it's been a bit chilly. And after the very, very long and late warm summer we had, it's our even fall we've had, it's a shock for everybody. But enough about that. Also with me on the panel, AJ, AJ O'Neill, coming at us live from somewhere other than normal. Yo, 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 coming at you live from the Vertigo Room. The Vertigo Room. Yeah. It gives AJ, you Vertigo you or supposed to give us Vertigo? <laughs> you seem to be under construction, AJ. Kind of, sort of, but so I'm in the tough shed now. The tough shed. <laughs> That's the brand. It's called Tough Shed. Oh, right. Okay. And coming all, also live from Tel Aviv in Dan's neighborhood, actually, is Yoav Abrahami. How are you doing, Yoav? I'm great. Happy to be here. Thanks for coming. We're glad to have you, too. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood. I've been talking to a whole bunch of people that want to update their resume and find a better job. And I figure, well, why not just share my resume? So you, if you go to topendevs.com slash resume, enter your name and email address, then you'll get a copy of the resume that I use, that I've used through freelancing, through my, most of my career, as I've kind of refined it and tweaked it to get me the jobs that I want. Uh, like I said, topendevs.com slash resume will get you that. And uh, you can just kind of use the formatting. It comes in Word and Pages formats, and you can just fill it in from there. So before we dive into the topic of the day, could you give us a little intro about yourself? Tell you who you are, what you do, where you do it, why you're famous, why people should give you money, etc. <laughs> so I'm uh, working in Wix for the, you know, the last few years. I've actually interviewed the first backend developer in Wix in 2006 and joined uh, for a few months in 2008 to solve their scalability problem. And since 2010, I'm uh, at Wix, uh, officially chief architect. Uh, being there, I've done a few things like introducing continuous delivery and TDD into Wix, in, uh, getting Scala as uh, the main backend programming language, which was a great decision at the time. Uh, I've <laughs> uh, created the Wix app market and learned a lot from it. And in the last, uh, in the recent years, I'm working on develop projects and develop platform. Okay, so Velo is what we are here to talk about today. And I'll let Yoav get into it. But first of all, I'm curious to hear about the name. So for me, when I hear Velo, I think velodrome and cycling. Really? You, you have something that you think about when you hear Velo? Yes, <laughs> I do. Velodrome for weird things come to my minds when I, my mind's mind. I only have one actually. Yeah, when Although I hear Velo, would, I my think... My wife would dispute that. But anyway, yeah, so I think Velodrome. What does the name Velo come from? So I have to say, you know, I'm a mountain cyclist, so I know Velo from cycling as well. But the name actually comes from Velocity, in the ah. ability to create a web applications in a faster way. Okay, and so Velo is the new development platform that they're working on at Wix. So tell us all about it. So there's a few ways to actually try and explain what Velo is a the easiest way is it's basically taking Wix and taking a cloud and meshing up together. 
and getting a platform that is aiming directly at creating web applications. But I'm, I'll try to have actually to look at it from another angle. Yeah, when created the app market in Wix in 2013, we've created a way for partners to create applications that can be included in a Wix website as iframes. And the next thing after creating that mashup, and we have lots of partners doing that, was to create a platform for those partners to build their applications on that platform. So the first thing we tried was we looked at those applications. We've seen that most of them are just integrating third-party services and storing some configuration inf- information. So let's try to create a, a generic backend that will just be a proxy for that backend services and provide them with the right cross-domain and credentials and stuff for, for the website. And guess what? That failed. The thing we learned from it is that when you want to build a web application, you must have a database and you must have a backend. You must have a server that you can actually code. So the next problem is how do you create a platform when someone can actually run code on backend code on your platform and be and be some do something that makes sense, that is safe, and scale that up. And this is where it comes the idea of let's build a cloud from the ground up, you know, which is basically Node.js, MongoDB, an online development environment, and Wix to draw the user interface, all of it pre-integrated so that you can just start it up and run and code and be running and deploy in less than a minute. If I can pull us back a little bit before we delve into those technical details, if I ask most of our listeners who know what Wix is, and I assume many of them do, but maybe not deeply, most of them know it as a WYSIWYG environment for easily building web applications without coding at all. I don't need to know HTML. I don't need to know CSS. I certainly don't need to know JavaScript. I can drag and drop my way to a fully functioning uh, website, even with advanced, relatively advanced features and capabilities like uh, e-commerce and uh, and a forum and booking and stuff like that. And you're talking to us about a development platform. Now, you came at it from the direction of the app market, which is the way to extend the Wix environment with additional functionality beyond that provided by Wix. But why would a WYSIWYG platform be a development platform? Like, what's the motivation here? So that is that is a very good question. Let's look at the market of building frontends. On one side, we have tools that build websites. You know, Shopify, Webflow, Wix, and all kinds of other platforms. Those tools solve a real problem. When you want to build a website, you need to take care of lots of different concerns. You need to take care of things like a performance and a CDN and a SSL, web security, being responsive, GDPR, PII, cookies, accessibility, and the list just goes long and longer and longer, and each year it becomes more and more complicated to build a website. So if you don't have a platform, you have a problem. Now, on the other end, we have developers and they're getting requirements to build things like, a, let's say, renew your insurance, your ability for your customers to renew their car insurance, or your ability to go into your bank website and transfer money. Now, a lot of those things are actually customer-facing. Those are customer-facing applications. They still need the same support you get from the website. So you still need to, so to think about GDPR and accessibility and web security and responsive 
NCDN and all of those other concerns. But you need also to code your business logic. You need the ability to connect to your backend services and build that application. And this is the unique offering that we can provide with Velo. On the one end, we get that foundation of a website builder. We have everything we need to be a customer-facing application. On the other end, we have the cloud. So we can have all the abilities to integrate and build that application, that business that business flows and that business entity that you need integrated through an API gateway with your enterprise. So when you started your description and you were talking about the app market, if I'm putting it in, in the context of the drag and drop that we talked about before, what that really enables, and in that regard, it's really similar to the app market that you get from either other platforms like the ones you mentioned, like Shopify, or maybe even app market for mobile devices, is the fact that third parties can provide functionality beyond the, the one that's, all, that's offered by the platform provider itself. So in the case of Wix, mm-hmm. uh, Wix might provide its own functionality for blogging, but you gave an example of something having to do with insurance. Maybe Wix did not develop something for integrating with uh, of providing insurance-like services. So somebody, a third party that does specialize in that can come in built an application that kind of integrates into Wix, and then you can, a, a Wix user can use a drag and drop functionality from Wix, but also integrate that, again, using drag and drop. So is Velo really intended for the people building those third parties to make it, them, it easier for them to build better third parties? Or is it targeted at the Wix users themselves to build more sophisticated functionality beyond what you can do with just drag and drop pre-built components. So that's the fun. That's the most interesting thing. Velo was created from us learning from the use case of the app market. But Velo today is a tool for a Wix user or a group of Wix users to build their own application. Be that a building a very complex website, be that building a startup, or be a part of a larger organization and exposing that organization services over the web. So it's we started in le- from learning from one domain, but we actually where we are today is a totally different domain. It's a domain of building any kind of web application and we're utilizing both the drag and drop interface and all of the foundation we get from Wix with that ability to customize it and actually code and build the application on top of that. So if I'm looking at it from that perspective, so again, when most people think about Wix, they think about it as what is known as a no-code platform. I I can, like I said, I can drag and drop my way into a functioning Mm -hmm. website using the the collection of of pre-provided, pre-built components. What you're describing is something that is totally different and kind of competes or is an alternative to development platforms or development frameworks kind of like uh, Next.js or Nuxt or, or Remix or stuff like that, to an exactly. extent at least. Exactly. When you think about it, if you go take Next.js, Nuxt, React, or anything like that, and you're going and building a web application, take Create React app. You run it, wait like five minutes, 10 minutes for all of the NPMs to install, and you have a running React application on Node.js. But at that point, you need to start you know, designing handling cookies, GDPR, all of that, all of those stuff. So you have a lot of things to do there in order to create the application. 
In Wix, you can go into the Wix editor, draw your application. Actually, what you, what we see a lot of users doing, they let their designer draw the application on Wix. And then the developer just wires things up, creates the backend, creates the logic, creates all of the things that the developer does, and they have an application. You click a button, it is deployed globally on four data centers in three continents, and you get a production application running. So here's the thing. When I think of a web development platform, I usually think of the ones that I mentioned, of choosing a framework, being React or Vue or one of the new ones or relative new ones, Svelte, Solid, whatever. Then choosing a meta framework, which basically automates the process of deployment and builds the route for me and does the back end. And usually these days, the Meta framework providers also provide the, the deployment services, like you mentioned, CDNs and, and integration with the cloud. And those are the, of, of the platforms or frameworks that I usually think about. So effectively, what you're saying is, here's another one that you should consider called Velo by Wix. And, and you should be thinking about using Velo instead of using, say, Next.js, correct? Yes. And you know, like anything in the world, you have a trade-off. And the trade-off you're making when you're choosing a platform like Velo, Velo is a very opinionated platform. That means that we can give you a much more efficient platform. That's why you can actually get from a start to production in minutes, and you can draw the UI instead of code the UI. So we're solving lots of problems on the way. But that means that you're working on our platform, which is a very broad platform. It is, it is very opinionated. You're up to the level that up until about a month ago, your only option of using our platform was using our own online ID, even to that level of having everything pre-integrated. By the way, today we've opened that, or a month ago we've opened that. But I would, I still believe that at the end of the day, a Velo application or web application must mm-hmm. be deployed on the Wix platform. It can't be deployed somewhere else. Yes, that is right. And that is, again, one of our advantages. By having the application deployed on the Wix cloud, it means that we can manage all the aspects of the lifecycle of the application. It means that we can make sure that it gets the best service in terms of uh, media, CDN, traffic, in different geographies, it means that we can automatically update the application as regulations change or as browser change. We can always roll out more optimizations into the application in a seamless way. And that's what it means to be a managed service. You get a lot of service for that, which otherwise you would have needed to manage yourself. So before jumping into the services that you actually provide, I think it might be beneficial to kind of uh, describe maybe the process. So let's say I'm I'm a developer listening to to this podcast. I think hey this sounds interesting. I it could be nice to build the UI for my application using drag and drop and then hook in the functionality. But how do I try it out? How do I go about it? What does the process, uh, you know, like you mentioned, if I'm doing React, there's the Create React app. If if I'm doing Next.js, you know, I can. In, they have the way to create a new project. What's how do I start a new project in the context of Wix? You just said that it's it's really quick, but how do I do it? So the process of starting a new project in Velo is pretty simple, and I think the 
you'll need to register to Wix, which is probably the hardest part in the process. Once you've registered, just open any template of Wix in the Wix editor. At the top, you have a developer mode, turn it on, and you have an ID. With that ID, you can start writing front-end code. You can start writing back-end code, which runs in Node.js. You can start creating the collections in, your, in a database, and you can start utilizing any of the different features we have in our product. Click on Publish. It's running. I know it sounds strange. Click on, by the way, you click on a button, and you have a running application, because the one thing I didn't say is a build step. The build step is actually managed for you as well. So when you click on Publish, your application is running in a matter of less than a second. And the code that I write, do I write it in, in JavaScript, in TypeScript? What do I write it in? So the code you write is JavaScript, both front-end and back-end. And the one thing that is a little bit different is that you cannot use the DOM directly. You use our own abstraction on top of it, the Wix components. Because when you think about it, when you use Wix, you draw the UI. So you drag buttons, you drag inputs, you drag boxes, you drag galleries, you drag any kind of element on the page. And once you do that, you get an ID for each of those elements. So for instance, if you want to, on a click of a button to change an image, you would do on button, the button on click, and then maybe the image dot SRC equals something. And both would be access through Wix API. To be honest, it isn't that strange because, you know, again, when I'm coding in a, uh, using a framework like React or like Vue, you know, the, the idea is usually not to directly access the DOM. You use mm-hmm. whatever services those frameworks provide, you know, whether it's uh, React, so you use JSX, or whether it's uh, Angular or Vue and you use their templating languages. You know, you can circumvent the framework and go directly to the DOM if you want to when you're using these frameworks. But it's usually not recommended. You do it when, you know, as a sort of an escape hatch, usually like when when for some reason the the uh, indirection layer that you have in place isn't sufficient and you need some functionality that isn't exposed. If I understand though correctly what you're saying, then in the context of Velo, it's not that you shouldn't directly access the DOM, it's that you cannot directly access the DOM, at least in directly or in this easy way. Well, well the Velo is built so that you will not access the DOM. However, like anything else, there is an escape route. You can actually create a web component, and when you do a web component, you have full access to the DOM. It actually runs native on the page. So ah, okay. you have the flexibility. But I guess that in most cases, you actually, again, you don't want that because you want to work with the APIs of the various component, Wix components that you put on the page using that uh, drag and drop capability. Exactly. And by the way, the reason, the reason why you want to use the components is simply because it's the most effective way to do to build a user interface. You just think about creating a, any kind of a application. How much effort are you placing in positioning your different inputs and uh, groups and titles in the right place? Choosing the CSS, choosing the right uh, formats, the right borders, the right margins, all of this stuff. In Wix, you can do all of that in the user interface with direct feedback. You just draw the stuff. And you can even let your designer do that you know, directly well, on Wix. Yeah, so that's the reason that uh, most people who do work in those frameworks usually use some sort of a design system which kind of uh, enforces certain layouts and certain design choices like fonts, borders, colors, etc. 
you usually try to avoid customizing them manually for each and every component. Yeah, that's the right way. And when you use when you use Wix, you get in something which is equivalent. All of our components are actually a, you can call them a design system, but in fact they're much more flexible than a design system because you have a lot more control on how on the look and feel of those components. So can you give an example of some of the components? I mean, you know, I, I assume there are the obvious ones like a button or a text block, but you know, what what do you have beyond that? So let's see which components we have. So we have, of course, text and uh, image and a gallery, which is very rich gallery component with lots of options. Obviously, video, music, shapes, buttons, groups. We have a repeater component, which you can design one instance of the repeater. And for each item in your in data that you provide to it, it would repeat that representation as many times as you want, you can use that in a flex layout or a grid layout. You have a mega menu, which you can design how, when it opens, you can design each tab individually. There is a tab component, there is a full suite of input components, you know, like a text input, a drop down, and so on, checkboxes, slider. And rating component, uh, of course, you can use an iframe, you could create your own using a web component. I think there is something around over 100 different components in the Wix environment. And I guess that some of the components are fairly advanced. Uh, like if I'm thinking about, I know that Wix has functionality for uh, e-commerce and like I said, for booking and events and stuff like that. Do these also constitute components or are they built from smaller components? How does it work? So let's first talk about the business solutions in Wix before okay. going into how you track them in the editor itself. We have, uh, we have introduced about uh, a month ago, uh, by the way, about a month and a half ago, we had our first developer conference in New York for Wix. In that conference, we've introduced three new products. One of them is our e-com platform. The Wix e-com platform is taking a, our different business applications in the space of booking, events, e-com, and connecting them all together so that in one cart, you can actually check out with both an event, a booking of an appointment, and a product. That's, by the way, something that I don't think uh, I've seen with any other uh, competitor. On top of that, we've added lots of extension points into our uh, different business solutions uh, from the ability to uh, connect your own payment provider to customize tax, customize a, what's called additional payments on a cart, and so on. There's like, a, we call those SPIs, service uh, programming interfaces, kind of the vice versa of APIs. And they allow you to uh, go into Velo and write a, basically a JavaScript function that would implement a certain API and then have uh, the Wix business applications call that when they need it. For instance, for to create your own a custom payment solution, let's say you're doing a game and you want to have your own game coin and allow people to check out in your store with your own game coin, you can do that. So all of those are constitute into our uh, business a API starting from a, a simple CRM solution, a global payment solution, stores, booking is three different products, appointments, courses, and say, always forget the third one. Events is another three products that are connected there, which is you have a events, tickets, a sitting plan, and so on. And all of that is connected together. Now, 
when you use any of those applications in Wix, you get a ready-made user interface for the full application. You know, that comes from the Wix no-code product. So when you do a store on Wix or a booking solution on Wix, you get the product gallery or the service gallery and the service page and, the, and all the checkout flow. And if you have both of them, of course, it's unified checkout flow. And when you're using Velo, you can then customize that experience. You get more options to customize and extend those experiences. So you can start doing some really, really cool stuff. Now, you mentioned, and again, I'm kind of jumping back and forth as things occur to me. You mentioned the code, Evelo code runs both on the front end and on the back end. Now, in the front end, I guess it's kind of easy to, to understand. I mean, I think you kind of described it, that it's a, a development model that's kind of similar to working with the DOM, that I can, let's say, if I have a button element, I can... In a connect the fun- a JavaScript function to the click event handler and, and run functionality on the client side. That I think is, is fairly straightforward. And then I can, once inter- I intercepted that click event, I can modify various properties. I guess something like the, the background color of the button or, or the text in a text box or whatever. But you also mentioned that I can run code in the backend and that usually involves interacting with with you know various other services or reading and writing stuff to database i know that aj for example is is like a fan of certain databases remind me which databases you like aj primarily just postgres but and sqlite but that's more for embedded applications not for general applications so is that also the case for backend code in velo i mean what is it also for managing data and interaction with other services? And is there a database functionality? If so, which database? How does it work? So the, one of the things that we've learned in when we set out, the, even before we set out to do Velo, is once you build an application on the web, you must have a backend and you must have a database. Otherwise, you're actually you're very, very limited in what you can do. So the first challenge for us was to figure out how to do that at scale. Today, we offer with Velo a Node.js server that you can code into. You can run, you can actually write the code that runs into that Node.js server, which is per site. We're running roughly around 1 million containers every day. We also offer you an abstraction, which today is over MongoDB, the Wix database. Roughly, we have around 60, 70 million tables there, roughly, in terms of numbers. And both of those are bundled with Velo. Now, Node.js being Node.js, you can do anything that Node.js is capable of doing. You can install install NPM packages, and we give you a certain... set of services from Wix on top of it. So we do give you, of course, an API to use the database. You have a scheduler API. You have an API to expose a function to the website, to the client. And then in the client, you just call that function as a function. And that function will be executed on the backend on Node.js. We're doing all the magic to make that happen. You can open APIs to the web. We call that feature HTTP functions and just call them using curl or any other system. You can call a various Wix business applications APIs. We have, a, I don't remember the exact number, but it's probably in the hundreds of APIs you can call from create product to start payment to a whatever. And a, you can listen on a business events like a cart a, being a, checked out and run code on that event. 
and react to it in some in certain way. You also have a socket solution that your backend can notify the client or certain clients with events. So you have a full suite of services there on that backend. So if if I contrast that to to let's say Next.js. So Next.js, you know, you can obviously run the back the Next.js server in a node environment, but I know that Vercel is pushing very much a serverless type of an approach where you're running, you're invoking kind of, uh, you know, stuff like uh, kind of Lambda sort of functions that can run mm-hmm. either on the back end or even in, you know, now they're kind of introducing edge computing as well. What I'm hearing from you is that it's more equivalent to the node type approach of basically you've, it's not just a function that starts and stops and has really limited API, it's more like a node server, or, or or is it more than that or different than that? It is a full node server. Yeah, I think it's right now it's version 16 or something like that. But basically, it's Node.js. There would be, one thing that we're doing, we're not trying to invent new APIs or new paradigms when we don't need them. Node.js is a great paradigm. It works great on the backend, especially for web workloads and by using it directly, we give a lot of flexibility to our users. Now, maybe it's worth mentioning when you, when you hear about, hey, they're giving an OJS backend and running it as a container, it probably costs a lot because the container per month is like $10, $20, $30. You, don't, you can't get down from that price point. We're doing it at 0.2 cents. So that allows us to run. That's one of the innovations we have in our product. It allows us to run in a much more efficient and much more resilient way, a full Node.js backend for a site in such scale, it's a huge scale. So if I build my backend, my web application that has a front-end and a back-end on top of Wix, and I'm writing my code in Node, how many Node's backend servers do I get and how much does it cost? Right now, Velo is free. It's part of Wix. We're allocating today for most users up to one container. The reason why I'm saying up to one is because we're actually, in most of the time, the container is going to be not running. When you need it, it will be available in 20 milliseconds, so you don't care. And if it dies, you get another one in 20 milliseconds. So again, you don't care. And if you get enough traffic, we can scale you up to more, two, three, four, as much as you need. If you get to that point, we might be asking you, hey, what are you doing? The reason why I'm saying that, in most web workflows, you will never need more than one container. You know, in order to get to, just to give you a sense of what I mean there, in order to generate traffic that is over the ability of one Node.js to handle, you need probably two, two, three, probably half a million users a day to generate that level of traffic. And Node.js can handle 5,000 RPM easily, unless you're doing something really, really suspicious. And to generate 5,000 RPM, you need probably half a million people for a regular web workload. If you're doing something different, which is something that requires more, we have the capability to give you that. And we have all the infrastructure to have a full, uh, what's the word, full elastic solution on the backend. Basically, you get a, the way it would work is that you have a scaling group that is allocated to the site. And we know to, how to allocate the resources. AJ, that kind of resonates with what you keep telling us about the fact that you can, you know, you like to run your node servers on DigitalOcean and basically just use that one node server to handle 
as many users as you're ever likely to get. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that detailed answer. <laughs> and you said that in terms of database, you're, uh, you've implemented a layer above, you said Mongo, I think, uh, MongoDB, you said? Yes. Right now, we have a layer on top of MongoDB. And, but we also have a way, again, it's an SPI, a way for you to plug your own database backend. So if you need a different kind of engine, MySQL, Postgres, SQL Server, Spanner, BigQuery, anything like that, we have an open source adapter that you can install on your cloud. It exposes APIs that we know how to call. And once you do that, from the Wix side, it will look like a native Wix database. But the actual data would be stored and managed on your database. So you can go and do whatever optimizations you need. You can talk about, we can talk about regulations if you need to store your data in a specific location or if you want your data to be in your own project and owned by you and not stored on Wix. And this is one of the flexible things that allows us to not have data at rest on Wix when we don't need it. And you can have your data at rest in your own project on your cloud. But again, the Velo solution, as well as the Wix site itself that Velo is implemented on top of, all of that is hosted on the Wix servers, on the Wix infrastructure. The default one is on Wix infrastructure, Wix servers, which are running in, I think it's four or three different data centers. We always have the, you know, in terms of how Wix works, we always have the ability to fail over between different regions. So if, let's say, our our US East region fails, all of Wix will shift to uh, to, uh, West or to EU, and that includes the databases that are provided by Velo. Hey there, this is Charles Maxwood. I'm excited because I wanted to let you know about this thing that I pulled together that I had just, I've been dying to have this for years and I never felt like I could. And then I just realized that there's no reason why I can't. So um, I'm putting together a book club and we're going to read development focused books, career books, you know, uh, technical books, whatever. The first book that we're going to do is going to be Clean Architecture by Uncle Bob Martin. If you're not familiar with Clean Code or some of the other stuff that Bob has done, check that out. I've also talked to him on the Clean Coders podcast, which is on Top End Devs. But uh, yeah, we're going to get on. He's going to show up to some of our meetings. And what I'm thinking is we'll probably have like five or six people uh, part of the conversation along with Bob and I at the same time. And we'll just, uh, so somebody can come on, they can ask their question, and then we'll just rotate people through. So we'll we'll mute one person, unmute another person when it's their turn to come on and, and be part of the discussion. So we'll do that for like an hour, hour and a half. And then the other part of it that I'm putting together is just kind of a meet and greet gather area on Gather Town. And so after the the meetup and the call, what we'll do is we'll all go over to Gather Town and you can just log in, walk up to a group and have a conversation. And that way we can all kind of get to know each other and and make friends and, and get to know people across the world. Uh, one thing that I'm finding is that, yeah, the meetups are starting to come back, but a lot of people don't have the opportunity to go to a meetup. And I really want to meet you guys and talk to you. So we're going to put all that together. It'll all be part of that book club. You can go to topendevs.com slash book club to be part of it. And I'm looking forward to seeing you there. The first book club meeting will be in December, the beginning of December. We're starting the first week of December. And um, you'll also be part of the conversation about which book we do next. I have one in mind, but I want to see where everybody's at. So 
There you go. If I take us back to the workflow, if I'm, again, comparing this to the way that... So, for example, currently at the company where I work, at Next Insurance, the what we call the public website or the front-end part of our, our offering, the, the, the public part of our offering is implemented using Next.js. So the, the workflow is basically that we have a team of developers. There are something like uh, seven developers uh, who are working on this, and they all have the Next environment installed. Most of them are using Visual Studio Code. I think a few might be using IntelliJ and pulling and pushing things into, into GitHub and using uh, Jenkins for automated build. And, and, you know, there's the end-to-end test environment and there's using Cypress for, for end-to-end tests. And, and, st- and you know, it's fairly straight, uh, standard and straightforward configuration. If I'm working in the Wix environment, how much am I using Wix tools Versus how much do I, do I use the standard tools like the one or, or the commonplace or the open source tools like the ones I just described? Just before I answer that, you said you have in your team seven developers, right? In that particular team, yes, I think, yes, six or seven. And how many designers? <sighs> that's, a good, that's a good question. I don't remember off the top of my head. I would need to check. <laughs> I, don't there is, I don't work with the designers usually, so... So I'm less uh, concerned with that part. I understand. But the reason why I'm asking is because those designers are actually part of the of your team. It, the, the development team is starting from design, not from development. Oh yeah, for and sure. They get they get design they get designs built on Figma and they need to implement them in code. Yeah, exactly. So your the workflow using Velo is is different. There are some similarities and some different things. The most important difference is that the designer is part or can be part of your development cycle itself. The designer can actually use the Wix editor and implement their designs on Wix. They will still use Figma. Figma is probably the best design creation tool. It's amazing. I'm using it myself. But then when you need to implement a design, instead of the designer explaining to the developer, and then the developer needs to implement that, and the designer needs to go and check that they implement it in the right way, all of that end over and back and forth goes away. Because the same designer who created the, fig, the Figma design can open the Wix editor and just draw that same design on Wix. And if something doesn't work out, he can fix that. He can actually find out to, to implement it in the right way that actually works. And a lot of times you get that feedback that will start to implement your design. It's not really the same way as it is in Figma. So that is one, one big difference from how you work in regular teams or let's say non-Wix solution. From that point, you have a choice on Wix. The developers can can choose to work online in the Wix online editor with all of the tool chain that we provide at Wix, but they have also another option that we introduced about a month ago. They can connect that same project to Git, and then they can go and check out the code from GitHub, use their own any ID, use the Wix CLI, create their own preview versions, and then run them through a CI pipeline with a Puppeteer or any other testing tools like that, and then they have a command in the Wix CLI to actually do the deployment, which is basically equivalent to clicking the Wix publish button, with one major difference is that the version that is actually written, both of the code and the UI in your Git commit, is the one that's going to be created and deployed in Wix. So what you get with that is that a very similar workflow for the developers in that case from what they're used to, to doing, but you get the benefit that you also have a pipeline for the designer to join that. 
And if you're thinking about the type of companies or the type of solutions or the type of offering that are appropriate, I mean, are we looking at specific types or sizes of websites? Is it more appropriate for for smaller websites? Is it also appropriate for large-scale websites Uh, or for certain types of websites or certain segments? What's the target audience, really? I think the target audience is not about which company. I think most companies, if not all, can benefit from the Wix platform. It's actually more about what you're doing. If your company is building an online 3D game in the browser, then the online 3D game itself, we don't have a lot of benefit on that part. But all of the other 50 screens you probably have around that, from leader score, from leaderboards, to user registration, to payments, to anything like that, this is where we have a lot of advantage. And so like anything in in the world of tech, it's not about using one tool. It's using the right tool for the job. And what we offer is a very productive tool to create UIs that are facing customers on the web up to probably 95, 98% of the use cases. But we don't try at least not at this stage, to do the 100%. There are still lots of things on the web that you would probably need to go and code. It's just the same way as you would use higher-level abstractions like JavaScript or Java or Scala, in our case, for lots of use cases. But in some cases, you need to go underneath and do something more than that. So I would say that in terms of companies that can benefit from what you're doing, anything that comes from the PHP background, definitely. WordPress and all the other CMS systems. Anyone that is doing a anyone that is doing a mid-range in terms of a agencies and companies that are selling products as part of their solutions. Think about a, a, a one example that I've seen is an agency that is an application to rent golf courses. And that application they've been installing that in hundreds of a different golf course websites. That's another example. Another example that we actually, uh, one that we know uh, from here, from Israel, is uh, quite a few startups that uh, are using our platform. One case is a startup that is tracking a fleet of uh, trucks. And in the truck itself, they have a device that sends information about the location of the truck back to a Velo backend. And then they're using Velo to give a municipal, to let a city see where their trucks are at a given time and give get all kinds of different reports on what the drivers are doing. That is another example. Another example that we've seen is a there's so many there's so many examples trying trying to figure out which one uh, to talk about. But the reality but, if if I'm thinking about it and 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 I actually wanted to ask you Steve something about this because at the end of the day the majority of websites from my experience I mean we can talk about edge cases but the majority of websites out there fall into you know they mostly do the same kind of things. They're mostly kind of uh, front end for CRUD uh, b- back end. You read stuff. You read stuff from a database and display it as some sort of a list or table or whatever or or a form. And you and you, the user fills in the form and the data gets saved back to the database. At the end of the day, you, the data might represent different things, but but at the end of the day, it's most mostly this. And Steve, I know that you you build these kinds of applications a lot. Would you consider something like Velo instead of whatever frameworks you're using today? I think it has something to do 
with a combination of things, whether it's personality, whether it's skill level, whether it's what you like to do. So the first thought that comes to my mind, I guess, is I'm one of is how I'd like to or how much I'd like to know about the details of what's going on and control it. So, you know, there's you see a lot of no code platforms out there and, and platforms that people can use who are not skilled to drag and drop and to just create a quick website. They don't know what's going on behind the scenes. That'll drive me bat blank crazy. Can't do that. <laughs> you know, I like to have control over my data about how it's being stored, how it, how it's being associated, and so on. So the best, I think the best analogy that I can give that that illustrates what I'm talking about is from a language standpoint. And I may have given this before, so apologies if you've heard this all before. But when I learned foreign languages, you know, for instance, when I learned Spanish when I was growing up, you know, there's two ways that you can learn language, you know, general for the most part that I've seen people learn languages like that. One is to take a language course and learn your verbs, your nouns, how you conjugate all your verbs, the different forms, you know, your vocabulary, all the different structures. And then you take that as a structure and put it together versus someone who learns like what we call conversational Spanish. They learn the phrases, they learn, you know, what's commonly used. How can you have a conversation with somebody? What are the basic words? And then you could sort of learn from there. I couldn't do the conversational. I got to know the details. I got to be able to control the nitty gritty, what's going on behind the scenes. And with some, with when I first got into the front end JavaScript apps, I liked the ideas of the headless CMSs, right? Contentful, sanity, butter, uh, you know, there's a bazillion out there, out there now. And they work to a certain extent in that they allow you to control your data structures and your modeling and so on. But when it comes to a hardcore CRUD app, you know, maybe some sort of management portal, data management portal, I don't like them because there's too many things I want to be able to control on the back end. So not sure if this is answering your question, but for someone who has specific skills and abilities and, and technology familiarities, I prefer to stay with what I know you know, and have the control over them versus maybe using a technology that I don't like or like dealing with or so on. For instance, you know, at the beginning, you mentioned you're using Mongo as a database for something like this. And Mongo has its pros and cons. And AJ and I have gone back and forth on this multiple times. I think his quote, and maybe he's changed over the years, is I really don't know of any use case where you need Mongo. I can speak from personal experience with the app that I use on a daily basis and other platforms that we've dealt with, such as Form.io. It's been a while since we've had Travis on, where that comes into play. And it's useful because of dynamic structure of the data and being able to adapt for that. But other than that, I really haven't seen any benefits to it just because of my day-to-day use of it. You know, in our particular work application, sure, it's great. There's a specific reason for it. But something like Mongo would sort of scare me off. And again, it could be just my lack of familiarity with it familiarity with it, you know, if I were to get more familiar, familiar with it, then I would be more comfortable. But just being the person that I am and wanting the nitty gritty detail control, I'd have to think about it. A question about that to you, though, Steve, because on the one hand, what you're saying totally resonates with me because I often take the same approach. But on the other hand, when I'm looking at most developers out there, the reality is that a lot of them don't, you know, they might say that they want to control the nitty-gritty, but at the end of the day, most of them don't know the nitty-gritty. Uh, for example, most, all those developers who are working on top of Next.js, for example, do they know how Next.js exactly implements the routing? Do they know how React actually updates 
the DOM. They're supposed to not use DOM access directly. They're supposed to go through React, but do they know how React works? And they use React these days because that's what they were taught at the boot camp. But if if they now go and work for some uh, some other shop, maybe that shop might be using Vue. I mean, you're using Vue these days, but if push comes to shove, then you needed to, you know, make ends meet. Would you not go and work for somebody just because they're not using Vue? Not at all. In fact, I was in that situation a couple of years ago when I was interviewing in about 2020. I went through a whole raft of interviews and I actually interviewed for a couple of positions where I would have been using React. I liked, I had been recommended to a couple of the companies and I went through the interviews and said I was willing to do it. And I think I ended up not getting it because in their, their particular needs were that they had somebody that knew React better than I did. And so they could get somebody up to speed and, and, making an impact quicker than somebody having to come in and learn React. But no, if push comes to shove, I'm perfectly willing to learn something new. And I see that as a benefit in terms of adding to my arsenal, you know, things that I'm able to do and jump on. Well, right now, if I was to use something, you know, that's React-based, like Gatsby, for instance, you know, I don't know React. And so there would be definitely a learning curve there. But to answer your question, no. You know, I have personally, I have no problem with getting in and learning something new. And if you got to do it, you got to do it. So, so my point basically is, and, and I think, by the way, that you have that this is a real challenge for Wix in this mm-hmm. context, and I'll get to it in a minute. But my point is, is that in a lot of ways, you know, when you think about Wix, and it's not surprising because that's the brand that Wix has built over such a long time and invested a lot of money in building this brand. Wix is an easy-to-use WYSIWYG environment for non-coders. And all of a sudden, you're you're kind of asking us to think about Wix as something else. And you're asking us to think about Wix as a development platform like Next.js, like a Nuxt, and even more so because, like you said, there's an integrated database and the integrated scaling and, and, and all that stuff. Like, so it's kind of like you take AWS and you take a headless CMS and you take a, an application framework and you mash them all together, you shake it up and you get, and you get Velo. So you're kind of asking us to make a, men, a sort of a mental shift in how we regard Wix. So it's not really surprising to me that you get a bit of a pushback from Steve because basically what Steve is really saying is I don't want to be using a WYSIWYG environment, a no-code WYSIWYG environment. I want to be writing the code. And I'm trying to say it more bluntly, I think, being Israeli than how Steve might say it. But correct me if I'm wrong and misrepresenting you, Steve. Yeah, but again, you know, that's that's just a personal thing. That's how my personality works, how my thought processes work. I'm as with any tool that's put out there, you know, there's there's no tool that's gonna be put out there that's gonna make everybody happy. And that's the nice thing about having a, a variety of tools, whether it's somebody that just does it all in the WYSIWYG and it does for you versus someone who likes to piece things together. So as as to the challenge that you're speaking of in terms of changing, you know, Wix from it was known for this and now we're gonna do this, yeah. Sure, that'd be a challenge. You might find that you get more people who are coming. It's like, dang, I've always wanted to do this and have a little more control, and and now I can do it. Hard to say until you until it's out there a little more. When look at back at uh, our industry for the last forty years, we've been we are shifting from building our own everything 
from computers and data centers, then to just computers in uh, running data centers, then to managed uh, VMs with EC2, and then to serverless with uh, solutions around 2014. And when shifting more and more workloads to the clouds and uh, going upstream, always going in, uh, upstream and into more managed, more opinionated, and more and higher abstractions. And I think Velo, in that regard, is uh, the next step in that evolution, where in five years ago, you would have built your, you wouldn't even have containers. You just start maybe with a container. And 10 years ago, you'd use uh, VMs. And 20 years ago, you'd build your own computer. Today, we're still coding user interface. But that's not going to last. Coding user interface is going to, I don't know if it's within now with Velo, five years from now or 10 years from now, but you're going to be become much more efficient with much more oriented platforms. And same goes for you do our backend or database and all of the other concerns. So we, I think you, you're kind of comparing apples and tyrannosaurs here. Because when we talk about the path to virtualization, it's the same CPU cycles that were happening. Well, I could uh, today. Today, I could build my own computer, I could plug it into the wall, and there's no difference between the capability that I have doing that versus using a virtual machine. There's no, there's no difference. I mean, other than that, I get more capacity at a lower cost if I, if I plug my computer into the wall, but then I have the issues I, of the reliability. I, I have to disagree, AJ. I'm going to push back on you on your pushback. Because you're absolutely correct that as long as your computer runs fine, then there is no difference. But if you need, if there's a problem with your computer, if your if your fan goes, then you're going to have downtime. Whereas when you work in a virtualized uh, yes, environment, yes, but this is not this is not the important part. Why is it not? If you want to update your operating system, you're going to have downtime. All of these scenarios are solved by virtualization. But I, I could just I could just swap one computer for another. But the, the point is that they're compatible. The, the point is that I was getting at is that it's a standard, right? Once you get to the point of running Node, everything that's underneath of it doesn't matter, and you have full control. Right. Whether I want to put another hard drive in a physical computer or whether I want to attach a storage volume, it's essentially the same thing. I, I, it's a one to one translation. So yes, I could, I could get more control or, you know, get a faster speed or something. You know, there's some advantage and disadvantage to whether I physically have the computer near me or whether, whether it's virtualized. But it's it's really just in the noise because it's the same thing. It's still a hard drive. It's still a computer. It's still running CPU cycles. When you move into an integrated platform, and I've been scrolling the docs kind of the whole time we've we've been here, just trying to get a sense of what the heck is Velo in, in a way that you know I can internalize it. I, one thing that I really like is that it's kind of taking all of the stupid, boring things that you'd pretty much implement with almost no distinguishable difference, and it it modularizes them into a no-code solution. So we've got Wix chat backend, Wix bookings backend, Wix captcha backend, Wix events backend. And so when you look at all this stuff, I think that what I want is the evolution that's like the virtual machine. What I want is, well, I could run this here or I could run it there, but it's just basically standardized stuff. And this is really cool from the perspective of, wouldn't it be great if we just had 
some no-code standards of here's the APIs for authentication, and it's just these are these are APIs that are just going to work 99 times out of 100, and they're portable. But the issue that I have with something like this as a developer is that it's not portable. It's just for Wix. And so, whereas, yeah, I enjoy DigitalOcean, but DigitalOcean is both great and completely unimportant because I could just as well use Volter or Scaleway. EJ, I think this is, this is a key point. Basically, what you're saying is that you're disproving everything in cloud space except for VMs, and that's it, basically. What you're saying is that cloud should just provide you with VMs or maybe containers, but serverless is non-portable. You can't take a serverless function from AWS and move it to GCP because the API is different. You can take either one of them and move it to Azure because the API is different and all the rules are different. And same goes with yeah. anything. You can take messaging from SNS or SQS or whatever the AWS says and move it to GCP. Same way you can't use any of the analytical databases because you can't install them anywhere else. You can't take any of the networking infrastructure of a VPC or a anything like a Edge or anything like a, you know, any of the services. The only portable service that exists is a VM or container. There's nothing else that is portable. You can't even take a workload from Postgres and move it to MySQL. And even, even if you think you can do that, well, I, I wouldn't even want to do that because that's that's again that people equate those as though they're similar, but they're not. They're they're so worlds apart. Take, so let's take Postgres and move Postgres to Postgres. Even moving Postgres to Postgres from one cloud to another, you might be surprised. You might you might get surprises when you go to the managed services. So any choice you're doing, except building your own VMs, you're going to go into an opinionated environment, and that's going to limit your ability to move from one. Uh, opinionated to is fine. The portability is the issue. Oh, it's it's opinion- not that I'm eliminated by it being opinionated. It's that I'm. It's that yes, it becomes are. a. Yes. You well, are. yes, you're limited by something being opinionated, but that's not the true limitation. Because if it was that I could run this same opinionated stack in multiple places, then I I personally would feel better about it. I would want to adapt some sort of. I think we should have something like what you're creating that's in the space of an open source implementation where it's, hey, chat is large, it's largely been figured out. We want to know when somebody's typing. We want to be able to support emojis. We want to be able to link to an asset. We want to be able to embed a video player, you know, but chat, you know, you look at Discord, you look at Slack, you look at Facebook Messenger. There's nothing unique about them. They're just annoyingly different. The problem there is that you're stripping away all of the service element. You're better saying, hey, let's give you a chat. But if tomorrow there's a regulation that requires that chat to do something different, that means that you, as the person who selected that open source and implemented that in your application, will need to go and refix that. And when you say to, when you say, when I say refix, you might take a new version and it might just work. But there is a good probability that you take a new version and it won't work. And you need to start fixing and making things work together. Just think about the situation you're taking. Chat. No, I, I'm happy to have services, right? Yeah, but, uh, but, but like, like with my car, with my car, but, I don't service everything on my car. I take it to a mechanic, but I don't have to take it 
to Toyota. But here's the thing, AJ. The thing is that the majority of developers think that they have freedom or a certain amount of freedom. And it turns out from my experience that they have a lot less freedom than they think. Again, going back specifically to the example of of the, the platform that we use at Next, which is mostly built on open source stuff. It's built on Next.js and using WordPress as a CMS, okay? And, and it happens to be hosted on Amazon. If we want to move from Next.js to something else, that's going to be really hard. If we want to move from React to, some, to another framework, that's going to be super hard. If we want to move from Amazon... But, this is, but you can run React on any... so. Thing you want to run it on? What, what does that? What it, does that actually mean? If we want, to, first of all, uh, we have a service written in Angular for historical reasons. I hate it. I want to move away from it. We can't. We're stuck with it because rewriting it from Angular from uh, to something else to a React is a Herculean effort. But it's your intellectual property. It's actually your intellectual property. I, I don't quite know how to get the essence of what I'm saying here, but I think that that's really it, is that that if you if you build something on top of, say, Velo, you don't have any intellectual property. You own zero intellectual property. Oh, I if disagree, you build I with, disagree Angular, with that. You think, have the intellectual property. That's yours. You any code that you write, any design that you operate on Wix is owned by you. But, it, you don't but it's, it's not. It is. What you're saying is, is super interesting because you remind me the same talk I had with backend developers 10 years ago when we were talking about using higher level services from clouds. And they were like, why should I use SNS from AWS? When I do that, I can't move to another cloud. And if I choose to use this service from GCP, once I do that, I can't move to another cloud. I'm stuck. I'm now, I now have to be just in GCP. There's no way I can move to somewhere else. Now, being a company that works on both clouds, we have in we have data centers both in GCP and AWS. We are very conscious of those differences. And anytime any service you're using on the cloud that is a little bit more than just a VM and just hosting a database on your VMs, you get exactly those same problems. And then at that point, you hear that exactly the same talk you just gave from all of the backend developers. And they're saying, yeah, you know, what would it, would, it would mean is that when we move this workload from AWS to GCP, we will need to rewrite our services. We'll need to write all of our business logic. And we don't want to do that. Well, the reality is, is that you never, you almost never do that. You know, you choose a cloud, you, all of the clouds. I, are I get that, but it's, it's about the ability. It's, it's like free speech. That's what, that's what I equated to, right? There's a lot of things that I don't. Let- want to say that I'm never going to say there's there's a lot of language that I'm not I'm not going to use but I still want the ability to use it right I I'm not going to I'm not going to say terrible things about you but I want the ability to so may I uh, let me let me give you that exact point any managed service you're using is a trade you're getting a lot for the managed service the trade is your trading freedom the freedom to choose anytime you're doing that and we I can show you if you want a over the four, last 40 years, it's a clear linear progression of us developers giving up freedom time and time again for managed services. And managed well, that's everybody. I mean, that's, that's, you look at government, right? Oh, in the world, people are giving up more and more freedoms every day to let government do something for them. This is, this is a human trend. We will always sacrifice 
for convenience. There, there, there will come a day when the, the, the Black Mirror episodes it, are all true. It's a price of modernity because we're getting ever more sophisticated services that we cannot provide ourselves. You know, in the old days, we would we would get water from the well. These days, I like to get to open the faucet and get water directly through through the pipes. But I, I need the government or some or the water company or whomever to manage my pipes for me. You know, I gave up a certain amount of freedom. Uh, you know, you used to have. But you didn't give up any freedom. You could still draw a well yourself if you not in there, Israel. Well. Not in Israel, you can't. <laughs> uh, well, me. I mean, you, but you didn't give that up. You didn't give it up. You simply chose. An option. I mean, you could still go if you want to. You can still and go. Likewise, you get don't water you don't, and then boil and it. Li- and likewise, you don't have to use wicks. You can use something else. You know that when you use wicks, it's kind of like you're trading your freedom to dig a well and draw your water from the well for getting pipes and uh, to to your kitchen to the to the kitchen sink. It's but you. I don't think that analogy works well because you could still. So, for example, let's take solar energy, right? If you want to get off the grid and you've got the battery, whatever, you can at the point where the electricity connects to your house, you could technically, although I think not legally, disconnect the city power and, you know, it's a plug and play system. You could plug in the solar and the batteries and have that Look, be sustained I'm, I'm, in theory. I'm not going to argue libertarian ideology. Basically, what I'm saying is, is that all solutions out there, and, like, and I do agree with you, Av, here, that you're trading uh, freedom for convenience uh, with with Velo, you're getting you're certainly getting a higher level of abstraction than most frameworks provide you with today. Certainly, with everything having to do with building the user interface, and it's definitely tied to the Wix platform. So is development on on I'll, for iOS. By the way, you have I'll, to go to the Apple i. I'll add two things here. What you what you're getting is you're getting greater velocity for development at a lower price. That's what you're getting. And it does mean that your application or a good part of it is running and tied to the Wix APIs. Now, you could, if you really want, you can take our own API for the front end and create another implementation for it and then run it whenever you want. The things that are not portable and never are portable is when you get a business service. When you get a a payment platform or an e-commerce platform, you can always port to another platform, but they're, they're, but they're, it will be a different API. And that means you're going to do an effort in porting from one to another. But but that's life. You get a service, you know, you get a payment provider. You can integrate with Stripe directly or with PayPal or with someone else. And each one of them has different API. There's no standard payment provider API. And there's a good reason for it, by the way, because they're different. Same goes for Ecom. The Wix API for Ecom and the Shopify API for Ecom and the Big Commerce API for Ecom are different. Because those are different platforms with different advantages. But you could on the on the UI, you know, the backend, it's Node.js, it's standard. The database, it's the, basically it's an ORM layer on top of the database. You can create your own implementation. Front end, you can create an open source implementation that, and host it wherever you want. But when you want to get the full jabang, the full managed service, and get that gain of both price and velocity, this is where you're running on the Wix platform. That's why you can deliver that advantage. Again, I don't think that that's necessarily bad. I'm just saying that it's not the thing that I prefer as a developer that likes to 
to have a sense mm-hmm. that that the intellectual property that I create is is owned by but, me but or again by but again I, I'm going to your idea of intellectual property when I think of the intellectual property that's of interest for me when I develop let, let's say an application using react it's not the nitty-gritty of using this hook or that hook or creating this JSX or that JSX it's the algorithm it's the business logic and that I can take with me no problem. If I can give the analogy, and again, I'll, I'll be using, you know, incorrect time constraints, but, but it's just good for an analogy. Let's say that developing an application from, from scratch in React takes me uh, for a certain pl- React platform, let's say for uh, Next.js, takes me, let's say, two months. And, but since I, it's, it's now portable, quote-unquote, because it's in React, and let's say I want to move it to Remix because I decided I dislike Vercel, let's say it's going to take me now two weeks because I can take a lot of the React stuff that I did. I don't really need to re-implement it from scratch, but still I have effort because they're not the same. With Wix, if I want to move it from Wix to Remix, it's going to take me the full two months of a total rewrite. But the upfront cost would have only taken me two days. So the question is, do I want to pay two days now and maybe two months later or two months upfront and potentially two weeks later? That's the way that I see it. And, and this, well, this is the classic vertical integration versus horizontal componentization, right? This is the IBM versus the Apple model. This is, and, and this is what Apple does too, right? Apple first partners with somebody so that it gets its development time down. So, you know, they partner with somebody to create CPU chips, for example, Motorola. And then eventually they either buy Motorola so that they're exclusively produce, producing the chips for them, which I think is what they did when they created the iPhone. I think that they bought their old Motorola team from the 80s that Motorola was selling off. And then they fully integrate, and it, it's just, it's a sliding scale of intellectual property. In the beginning, they had no intellectual property in that space. They leveraged someone else to gain expertise and get uh, intellectual property in the areas that were more, more open, you know, designing the phone at all. And then once they had accomplished that, then they went back and then they got the intellectual property for the chip itself. And now, Almost everything other than like the Broadcom modem or something and, and probably some of the NAND chips are all Apple intellectual property throughout the entire iPhone. And, and so this is a valid and a good business model is that you can choose to say, hey, we're going to give up being able to own any of the intellectual property for this segment. We're going to partner and componentize instead. And then once we are ready to maximize our resources in this aspect of our business, then we'll go back. But I don't like your usage of the term intellectual property because what you're implying that if is that if I write my application for the Apple App Store, Apple has the intellectual property for all my code. And that's not the case. Well, no, because you can actually run that independently of the Apple no, App Store. No, no. You do not. It is not required to have the Apple if App Store. If I can't run, run that code. can I run my application on the iPhone, not through the Apple App Store? Maybe technically, but not practically. Sure. And yeah, and that's... So they, 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 that's they, why a lot of people want those frameworks of, that will do it on the both. The concept of intellectual property is a legal one. So, you, you know, I, I totally agree with you that once I write my application on top of Velo, I can't run my application anywhere else unless I do a full rewrite. 
I totally agree with you on that. I disagree with you with, with that the statement that that means that Wix has owns the intellectual property for my software. That's not the case. But you don't have the intellectual property because it is Wix's intellectual property. What do you like mean the, I don't the, have the, the intellectual dominant The business logic because that the I implemented. predominant pieces, which, yeah, so very tiny, tiny sliver, the business logic that's that the you important implemented. Part. Sure, that's yours, but you can't, but it's not portable. I agree. But, but I, this whole, this whole argument is maybe a little bit mute because it's, I, I don't, I'm saying that for me, and really, this was this is back on two things. One, the, the what I consider to be a false comparison of the evolution of virtual machines, because I consider that to be entirely one to one the whole way through. And even to this day, you can still just take something off the shelf. You can go to Walmart and you can run the same software that you can run in the cloud, and you can have the same configuration parameters. So that's that was one not, argument. The second argument was more. That's not true today. You can, but it is. I, I mean, it, you can't make a serverless function running your machine on, in your house. So you don't have the capability. Maybe with a test server, but nothing real that really would work. But it okay. So I have to go down the street to get co-location. But it, the the thing is, it's the same. The pieces of the stack are the same, and they're interchangeable. The other argument was more. You know, earlier was saying, well, Steve, why, why wouldn't you use this? And I'm, that's, this is just me responding to, I love the idea of having components that are discrete components for common things that probably don't need a lot of configuration. Like just scrolling through the list here. I think this is great. I would love to see a cleaned up version of, of an NPM like thing. That has this. I would love to see a you know a self-hosted.org that has a list like this. That you know CRM backend, forum backend, groups backend, payment backend. But that's it's awesome. I think it's absolutely awesome. I'm just saying that I I want that in a, in a Lego like structure rather than a and, and, and I think I I think the niche for this is where you have businesses where the businesses are not scalable businesses where they're not growth stage businesses where it's you know I've got something that's pretty small pretty self-contained has a, a limited customer base and I'm going to be building this this thing where this is not going to become you know it's not going to become a billion dollar business I, maybe it's going to be a ten million dollar business but, but here it's not going to be a billion dollar business what, and that's but here's again where I disagree with you because my experience is that most development teams and it's an unfortunate truth and maybe we don't like to hear it but most development teams don't know how to build scalable solutions and usually the solutions that they build turn out to be not scalable and and you know so the winners those those maybe though you know uh, those happen to know they they knew how to bring in that the top engineer who knew how to build it for them but the majority of businesses don't know how to build scale scalable businesses they don't how to know how to build secure businesses and they don't know how to build performant software believe me i know and yeah so so i mean maybe i i i we i could be completely wrong because maybe for example nike maybe nike would be the ideal customer for this because it's not a software company they don't do anything in tech but they need to be able to contract out to hire and they need to have better, more customized features. Than, again, than I, other again I don't like the distinction because you're making because a good friend of mine recently told me, and I had to agree with him, that in this modern world, all companies are tech companies. Nike is a tech company. Mm. Your bank is no. a tech company. I mean, we are in the next insurance is an insurance company and we are a tech company. 
anyway, but to be honest, you have, and I have, I have to say something. The pushback that you're getting here, or on actually two fronts. One is the fact that it is tied to the Wix infrastructure. It's not open source; it's closed source, and it's tied to the Wix infrastructure. And the second, having to do with the the Wix's brand of not being a company oriented towards web developers, but rather historically towards the people who wanted to avoid using web developers. Those are two big pushbacks that you're going to need to contend with in order to make Velo succeed. And I think it's going to be a bit of a h- uphill struggle. Well, I mean, before we wrap up, we're going way long here, so we need to get wrapped mm-hmm. up here and move to picks. But I guess I'll just re- reiterate what I said. I mean, I think this argument could go on ad nauseum uh, between all of us knowing <laughs> our opinions. I just want to reiterate one of my points. I'm sure there's going to be a market for this. You just happen to hit two people here that have stronger preferences, have more experience, and, and want some more control. There will be people that want to use this, I'm sure. There's a a wide enough, to use a fancy word, panoply of developers out there that have different skill sets and different needs and different use cases. And so, I mean, you can even look at this as like an optimized WordPress, you know? I mean, WordPress has a a billion plugins and they're all crap. Here you've got, you know, a hundred plugins and they're probably really high quality and work really well. So, all right. With that, we will Mm -hmm. wrap it up. And move on to picks. As much as I know we could talk about this for another hour and a half. Have you ever wished that you had a group of people that were just as passionate about writing code as you are? I know I did. I did that for most of my career. I'd go to the meetups. I'd try and create other opportunities. And it was just really hard, right? The meetups, I got some of that, but they were only like once or twice a month. And it was just really hard to find that group of people that I connected with and, and really wanted to you know, talk about code a lot, right? I mean, I love writing code. I think it's the best. And so I've decided to create this community and create it a a worldwide community that we can all jump in and do it. So we're going to have two workshops every week. One of those or two of those every month are going to be Q&A calls, right? Where you can get on, you can ask me or me and another expert questions. Uh, The rest of them are going to be focused on different aspects of career or programming or things like that, right? So it'll go anywhere from like deployments and containers all the way up to managing your 401k and negotiating your benefits package. We'll we'll cover all of it, okay? And then we're also going to have meetups every month for your particular technology area. So we have shows about JavaScript, React, Angular, Vue, and so on. We're going to have meetups for all of those things. I'm going to revive the freelancer show. We'll have one about that, right? So you can get started freelancing or continue freelancing if that's where you're at. And I'm working on finding authors who can actually do weekly video tutorials on something for 10 minutes that's related, to, again, to those technology areas so that you can stay current and keep growing. So if you're interested, go to topendevs.com slash sign up and you can get in right now for $39. When we're done, that price is going to go up to $75. And the $39 price gets you access to two calls per week. The The full price at $150, which is going to be $75 over the next few weeks, that price is going to get you access to all of the calls and all of the tutorials and everything else that we put out from Top End Devs along with member pricing for our remote conferences that are coming up next year. So go check it out, topendevs.com slash sign up. Picks are part of the show where we get to talk about other things than tech, anything that interests us, food, movies, 
games, or it could be tech. Today, we'll start out with Dan. What do you got for us for picks, Dan? Okay, so my first pick isn't really a pick. It's more of an observation. So the past two weeks have been really a tumultuous times for the React uh, ecosystem. It's kind of it's been kind of an amu- amusing to see what's happening. So it kind of started out on October 25th with uh, Vercel's next first Next.js conference and where they kind of had a meta person on stage more or less saying that uh, that the future of that Next.js is the future of React. Now they kind of took back that statement a little bit afterwards or, or clarified it and said, oh, no, we actually also love Remix and, and the other frameworks. But, but they did say it and, and, and people did hear it. So, and it's also true that Next is the platform that's mostly embracing the React uh, take on, on the future of web development with React uh, server components and, and stuff like that. So it so we had this kind of a statement really positioning Next.js as the future of React in October 25th. And we had kind of like grumblings from the Next.js, from the Remix crowd, for example. But then we got potentially even bigger news on October 31st when we learned that Shopify is actually buying Remix and that Remix will now be a part of Shopify and in fact, kind of replacing hydrogen, which means that whatever hydrogen was up to October 31st, that's no longer the case. And now Remix is hydrogen. So uh, really tumultuous times in, in React land. It will be, re- and, and, and while all this is happening, we've got all these new frameworks coming out of the woodwork and kind of challenging React's dominance, you know, with uh, Quick. We've had Mishko on our show and with uh, Solid, we've had Ryan on our show. And so, you know, all of, all of these new and interesting frameworks, it's like that Chinese saying, may you live in interesting times. It seems to me that we're definitely living in interesting times. And it will be interesting to see how Wix fits in with Velo in all of this hoopla and, and whatnot. So that's kind of my first, I don't know if I'd call it a pick. It's Like I said, it's more of an observation. My second is also kind of an observation more than a pick. It's the ongoing war in Ukraine, which is still ongoing. We're now kind of heading into winter, which probably means it's going to be a lasting and really painful stalemate for a while while they hunker down in the snow. But so we're probably going to be hearing less news about what's going on there. But it doesn't mean that the fighting is over or that the suffering over is over and therefore I as usual I call upon all our listeners to do whatever they can to help the people in Ukraine through this ordeal and those would be my observations for today. Thank you Dan for picking those observations. All right AJ you're next. What do you have for us for picks? I started listening to The Big Short and that seems pretty interesting and and scary. Listening so. as into the the audiobook not watching the movie. Correct. Correct. Did you see the movie, by the way? I have not seen the movie. It's a good movie. I don't know. I was kind of, I was kind of in a fever dream uh, state while I was listening to it. So I, I heard the first hour or so. So, okay, there is some new flu thing that's going around, it seems. You know, it, the, the flu skipped two years, and so now it's back with a vengeance, I guess. 
And so I got it. And at least for me and my wife, it comes with this terrible nagging cough. And so I still have the cough. And sometimes I still just start gagging for no reason. Well, not for no reason, but because because of my gag reflex and the cough and everything. Anyway, so I started listening to it while I was uh, I was in kind of almost fever dream state. It helped me fall asleep, not to say that it's boring, but just that it was able to engage part of my mind so that I could, uh, so that the other part of my mind could, I, you know, could relax and I could conk off. So I, I, I need to actually get back into it to see how, how good it is. And maybe it wasn't that good. Maybe it's just because I was in a fever dream state, but I think it was. Um, I was going to anyway, say, the, picking a, saying you could fall asleep to a book isn't exactly the best. Uh, but I, well, I fall asleep. I fall asleep to all sorts of books. Um, another thing I'm going to pick, the, uh, two, two more things. So mentor pilot, I uh, also, while I was, you know, in, in the fever dream state for a couple of days and just looking for anything to engage my mind, I pretty much ran out of all of the, the watch later stuff I had on YouTube. And then I came across mentor pilot and it's this guy who I think he has three or four different channels related to being a pilot and flying. But on one of the channels, he just does crash reviews. So think of any of the recent flights, well, recent, you know, the last, any flight period, really, just the last 20 or 30 years. He'll go through the black box recording. He'll just go through step by step and explain what happened during the flight, what was done well, what were areas that could have been improved by better manufacturing or better pilot action, what the... NTSB and FAA recommendations became due to the situation and and why flights are safer today because of what was discovered during the investigations and whatnot. And so it was just really just really interesting and fascinating to understand how commercial flights work and all the different issues that people that are running commercial flights run into. Um, and then the other the other thing I'll pick is, and this is going to be somewhat controversial, but the Matt Walsh show. Matt Walsh is a comedian, but a lot of people, especially people that report on him and then pick him up on other news networks, don't know that because he's very deadpan. And if you were to just watch part of the show or listen to part of the show without understanding that he's a comedian, you could think what's that internet law where the difference between sarcasm and extremism you know they you get to a point where if you don't know you just don't know i forget i forget as well i i I think that's i forget i just know Um, that on the anyway so he's he's easy i said i just know that on the internet there are no rhetorical questions that's all i know every rhetorical question will be answered on the internet well he says all sorts of lambastic and inflammatory things and then, you know, so, so people will pick up something he said and, and then just, you know, make a big deal out of it. And then he will the next day read an excerpt from the article or whatever, where people are, you know, calling him the, you know, the worst thing since Hitler. And then he'll make fun of it. And then usually just agree to whatever they say. You know, one time he made a comment about anime being literally evil. And, and then that, that snowballed into this thing. And then, and then he, when he gets on the show, he's like, uh, some of you may have noticed that, uh, news network, such and such, uh, you know, put up on the, an article because I called everyone who watches anime a Satanist. And you know that everything I say should be taken with the same seriousness and severity. Uh, this is absolutely true. And I couldn't stand by it firmer and I'm glad they picked it up. 
and let the world know. You know, that this is the kind of terrible human being that he is. So anyway, I've just, I've enjoyed listening to his podcast because he's so terrible and, and hilarious. Okay, I will go next with the picks. My picks are, I like to think, the highlight of every episode, but uh, the dad jokes in particular, but I'm sure there are those that will debate that. So I'll start with my dad jokes of the week. Some are better than others, but that's par for the course. So first of all, simple question. How do you spell the word candy with only two letters, C and Y? Dan has a confusion. No, I think that's a joke better written than said out loud. Yes, you sort of have to visualize it. I'll, I'll give you that much. So what is worse than a box that contains venomous snakes? A box that should contain venomous snakes. Well, that's kind of very... I saw yeah, where you that's were going kind of that variation way. on your half apple with half a worm in it joke. Yes, yes. Oh, thank you for reminding me. That was very good. Yes, what's worse than an apple with a worm in it? An apple with a half-eaten worm in it, I think, or something like that. And then finally... You've all heard about the blind carpenter who picked up his hammer and saw. But did you hear about the deaf shepherd who gathered his flock and heard? Mm, okay. Saw, heard. Yeah. Heard. Anyway. Okay. That's it for my jokes of the week. And finally, we're on to Yoav. Yoav, you have any picks for us? No. I can show what I should Uh-oh. have been done for today and didn't because uh, I wanted to honor you and visit you here. And that was actually doing night mountain cycling in the rain in the Judea desert, going down about a, a height of almost a mile and hopefully staying alive after that. Yeah. Okay. So let me get that clear. So you're in the desert riding a mountain bike in the rain at night. And what other part did I miss? In a very, very strong descent, about a height of a mile, height difference. And across, you know, 20 kilometers, about 15 miles of distance, which is really, really, really fun if, you, if you're really into it. And sounds really open if you're not. Yeah, and if you don't mind falling, I guess. It happens yes. sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that's sort of funny. I mean, when I first got into PHP, MySQL development, early 2000s, my first, one of my first projects was working with another developer on a website for a uh, bike shop that specialized in downhill mountain bike racing. You know, that was their whole thing. All the races were downhill. You had some pretty hardcore bikes, you know, to be able to handle that. Kind For of some stuff. reason, I'm reminded of that Douglas Adams quote that he said that the trick in flying is lear- is is the learning how to fall and miss the ground. So, uh, so <laughs> I hope you can achieve that the next time that happens when you fall off your bike. It's kind of uh, the same thing, and that's what you're trying to do. Miss the ground. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So with that, we will wrap up this episode of JavaScript Jabber. Yoav, for, thank you for coming on. Before we leave, if people want to learn more about Velo and you and what you're doing, uh, how can they best do that? They can uh, go to wix.com slash Velo, or uh, they can just find me on Twitter, Yoav Abrahami on Twitter, and reach out. All righty. Awesome. With that, we will wrap up this very long episode. Thank you to my panelists. Thank you to you all for coming. And we will talk at you next time. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.